Welcome to Alaska's Political Pipeline. You are... Rebecca Polsha. And I am... David. David who? David, what are you again? Just kidding. <laughs> David Burnkoff. Come on. <laughs> and uh, I guess this is the seventh episode. Elections wow. are done. Which we hit the double digits. What? Wait till we hit the double digits. Oh, then wait we'll... till we hit the oh, double yeah. digits. I hope we make it that long. I, I think we will. I think we will. Uh, but I've been asked by the powers that be to explain not only who we are and what we do, which is to cover, to talk about politics and government, but also to ask you, the kind listener, to follow us and like us or fan us or do whatever it is that your app of choice <laughs> asks you to do if you want to know when we have a new episode. That matters to everyone in the podcasting industry, so it matters to us. I wanted to begin with, it's not really a mea culpa, but more of an explanation, because uh, we had a guest on a couple of times who took some shots at polling, and uh, I had a little meeting with a pollster here in Alaska, and it is accurate to say that in Alaska, at least, the polling was pretty accurate. It was amazing. I've not, like, that, that the polling was, I was impressed. Yeah, so here in Alaska, one of the things that I was told was that, yes, it's true that pollsters everywhere have very low response rates. And by response rate, that means when you randomly call people, the people who agree to talk to you. And it is as low, and I was shocked by this, I shouldn't be, it was as low as 5%. That is so incredibly low. Yes. Wow. And that makes it difficult because you're not having a large pool of people right. to choose from when you're putting your poll together. But what I was told a little bit unique in Alaska is people in Alaska don't hide their feelings. When they do agree <laughs> to talk to the pollsters, they tell them how they actually feel. They tell them the truth. And that leads to making the polls more accurate maybe here than they are in some other races in the lower 48. Does that surprise you that Alaskans would oh, be more honest about no. things? <laughs> I think we sometimes are uh, a little too honest, probably. So let's look at, um, you know, one thing that we did confirm this week, just yesterday, actually, uh, was that 259 rural votes were not counted mm -hmm. because they did not make it to Juno in time for final certification. And so we were, had been joking it on an earlier podcast a little bit about whether there were election shenanigans. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't look like there were any deliberate election shenanigans, but it is true that um, that's 259 people who cast their vote expecting it mm -hmm. to be counted. And the elections division is blaming the post office and the post office is, I don't think they're denying that, but that's not right. I mean, people vote their votes. They want their votes to be counted. Oh, absolutely. And, and these are, you know, rural communities, um, but it's an ongoing issue here. It's not, you know, it's not a new thing, and it's not just the vote's not coming in. There were a couple of small precincts that didn't open on time, and they were, we know about the call that was put out uh, for volunteers, and they did eventually open all these precincts, but... It's this has been going on for years, and it yeah. you know you're talking about small communities with a maybe you know 200 voters or so. And this is and, and like you said, that is an ongoing problem that we have had with postal services. I I know like every time 
in the newsroom in particular when um, when somebody quits from a post office and it leaves the community without someone to service that post office. Um, we're inundated with everybody from that area being like, there is no postal service here because it's such a, it ties us all together and it, you know, you get medicine, you get your goods and, and just your bills and everything else. And, uh, but it's a huge disruption. And to certify, Mm -hmm. excuse me, to certify the votes, you need to have those, that paperwork show up in Mm Juneau. And if it doesn't show up, the vote simply doesn't get counted. And, the Division of Elections says it didn't affect any outcomes. Mm-hmm. There were no races that would have changed if those votes were counted. But again, I come back to people talk a lot about election shenanigans and, and big conspiracy issues. But these are real known problems with people who voted and their vote didn't count. Yeah. And they're Americans. And it seems to me that... Those problems are solvable, especially with technology these days. There there have to be ways to make sure people's votes count. Yeah, you think. We have, coming up very soon, uh, the governor is going to announce his budget. And I guess that's his document of how he thinks state spending should be, right? That's Correct. right. I don't know who he's talking to in the legislature or if anybody. Is there a history of governors sort of working with the legislature prior to that, or is it really their own blueprint? It's their own blueprint, and I think I think it's always noticeable when it's their first um, when it's their first one. They usually come out swinging, and then lawmakers are say they're shocked, and then that's when all the debates start. As time goes on, you can see there has traditionally been a little bit more probably behind the scenes working together to, so that the shock value is lower. And, you know, but this is just like his starting point. So this is the, the beginning of a very long process. But I, I have found like every time we've had a new governor, which has been a lot, um, that that first one's always kind of a shock. And what's interesting here is he, this begins a new term, but he's obviously not a new governor. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of speculation, and I don't think we need to get too much into the speculation, but it will be interesting to see whether, as now someone who will never run again for governor, does he come out swinging again? Does Governor Dunleavy give his very personal budget here, like what his hopes and dreams are, or does he want to his last term to be more conciliatory and less concerned about the politics because he doesn't have to worry about the politics anymore? Yeah. No, I'm fascinated by that because I've never covered this when we've had a governor for two terms. So, I mean, he still has this several years ahead of him to still work with people and compromise and try to get things that you want. But it, it is like, is that freeing? To be able to be like, look, this is it for me. I'm going to do what I want. You know? Every politician is different in that sense. And it will be interesting. We'll know in uh, really in a, a few days here. And then the legislative session begins in January. So the legislators will have some time to pour over the budget document. And we are going to be joined now by a new reporter here at Alaska's news source, Elena Sims, who is going to be covering the legislature for us and has been in recent days covering the governor's uh, swearing in and covering a few other issues of state import. And um, we are happy to have Elena join us as 
an occasional contributor here to keep an eye on things because she'll be down in Juno. She'll be, she'll do great. She's fantastic. She also, uh, I think, speaks like three languages. Yeah, I think Russian is one Russian's of them. One of them so yeah. there might be some people in Juno who she can speak Russian to. <laughs> I don't know. Elena, you are joining us for the first time on the Political Pipeline. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Are you happy to be here? Is this a good experience? You'll decide that later. <laughs> You'll make that judgment afterwards. But you're going to be covering our state legislature, aren't you? Yes. And there has been a development there. We know, we now know all the people who are going to be in the legislature. And one thing we also learned the other day is there's a coalition that will control the state Senate, and it crosses parties, right? Exactly. Uh, it's one of those unique quirks about Alaska. So we will have a majority bipartisan coalition in the Senate this coming legislative, legislative season. Um, so again, there are 20 state senators in Alaska. 17 of them are in this coalition. Nine are Democrats. And eight are Republicans. And that is, my experience, a little unusual that you would have the Republicans who won most seats not just have a Republican majority. This is for reasons maybe you can explain why they decided to do this and how they expect it to work. Sure. So one of the things that you brought up was exactly a point made by Sally Hughes one of the few people who is not in this coalition. And she said in a statement that, you know, we know that most Alaskan voters, or at least the people that showed up at the polls, are right of center. So how does this bipartisan coalition really make sense? Um, and I think that gets into, well, what is the point of a coalition? Um, who exactly, once you decide, yes, I'd like to be in the coalition, it sounds like a great idea, right? People coming together from both sides of the aisle to work together. But then who exactly are you beholden to first and foremost, the, the coalition or your constituency? And so I think there is a lingering question about whether or not that injects a, a, a layer of distance or a bit of a buffer in terms of accountability. Have they stated what their legislative priorities will be or how they expect a coalition of two parties to agree on significant issues where there are often fundamental differences between what Republicans and Democrats think. Uh, exactly. So that's sort of the underbelly of all of this. In terms of the more experienced state legislators that are in this coalition, you can look yourself and see they have these long histories of views that are just all over the map. So the closer you look at this coalition, you start to wonder, well, where exactly is the compromise if these people don't really agree on anything? And so far, in terms of specific priorities for the upcoming session, you know, they outline sort of the general big issues that Alaskans care about, like the PFD, like um, Alaska controlling Alaskan natural resource development, uh, rather than letting the federal hands sort of handle that situation. For the most part, though, the message of their press conference was just that they wanted to make the theme of the session in 2023 consensus. And that still strikes me as a rather amorphous way of viewing things. Consensus is built around issues that one must make concessions on 
And if they can't enunciate what it is those issues are and how they ex expect to reach consensus, I don't. How does a coalition like this continue? Or is that a question? Is there any question that this could just fall apart at some point? Um, exactly. So there's nothing really binding this coalition to making forward progress. In fact, I think the question to really wonder is, you know, what does this coalition really like signal? Aren't these people that would be willing to work together anyway? Um, if you're not in the coalition, does that mean you're sort of de facto shunned? Of course, they won't say that. And in the press conference, the people in the coalition said, we're even the people that are in the minority, we, we want to work with them. But uh, on the other hand, in 2022 and 2023, thinking about political unity, even if it's just performative, maybe there's some value in that. One of the things I wondered, I can understand why a Democrat who is in the minority would want to have a coalition that would give them some more power. But did the Republicans talk, any of the Republicans there talk about the issue of whether they are giving, in essence, too much power to the Democratic Party by not having a Republican majority governing system. That came up a little bit. The comments that come to mind is Kathy Giesel. She'll be the majority leader. Um, this is her second term. Um, she actually was in office a couple years ago, lost her seat to a more conservative Republican. Now with ranked choice voting, she's back. And she talked about how at the start of her legislative career, she... She came into office with a very specific vision on a number of issues such as health care. And almost immediately after she started the job, she saw that you had to cooperate with people on both sides of the aisle. So she feels that the cooperation, the consensus, that is of more value than any sort of party loyalty. Would that be a fair way to put it, you think? Or did they not get into that so directly? Um, they didn't get into it too directly. Um, there were some other comments from one of the one of the senators from the Anchorage area who was a Democrat, and she made the comment that um, you know most Alaskans actually register as un independent or undeclared. I think it's in the forty percent range, which made, makes Alaska very unique. Thinking about the the lower forty eight, um, so maybe many voters do share right of center leanings, but but ultimately Alaskans don't really fit into either box too tidily anyway. So it seemed like from that perspective, maybe we should just shift away from talking about national party politics. Interesting. And then we don't know as of the taping of this podcast how the House will set up its power structure, but there are a lot of indications that they too will have some sort of coalition, isn't there? Uh, yes. As it stands, it seems, well, and again, there are 40 seats in the Alaska House, and it seems as if 21 of those will be Republican representatives. But they will perhaps seek a Democratic coalition with, even though they have a majority as well, is what, that's what I'm hearing. I don't know if you're hearing that. Yeah, it's just not clear okay. yet, but I think the indicators are there. Let's talk a little bit about our governor, because he was sworn in this week for his second term, and that's somewhat significant, isn't it? Yes, he is the first governor since Tony Knowles in 1998 to win a consecutive second term, and he's the first Republican to win a second term since 
I believe, Jay Hammond in 1978. And did he, at his inauguration, have any political bombshells to throw? Did he indicate what his budgetary priorities would be? Did he say anything terribly newsworthy? From my perspective, it didn't exactly seem like it. It was definitely a, a victory lap. Um, a lot of congratulations went toward his family and his team. Uh, the big theme, the big theme of his speech skirted specific issues. You know, the elephant in the room is the budget and what that's going to look like, especially given the troubles it caused him in his first term. But as we talk, talked about earlier, North to the Future really captured um, his vision for the second term, whatever that means once you translate it into policymaking. As I joked before we recorded this, it is better to go north to the future than south to the past. <laughs> that's all. That's what I get out of it. Governor would agree. <laughs> Governor would agree. And we will have to learn what his budgetary priorities are pretty soon because he's got to present a budget, right? Exactly. And that sort of reminds me of what we just chatted about in terms of the state legislature is skirting the specifics in these press releases where you start to think, you know, maybe there's some real kumbaya here. Um, but I think it might be a little bit deceptive because even the governor spoke about working with all Alaskans who want to take Alaska north to the future. But did we really see that in his first term? What, what changes from that first term? We're still not really sure. And that is the question is, now that he knows he's not going to run for a third term, so does that make the governor more w willing to compromise? Does it make him take a harder tack? We will have to wait for his budget to find out. One more thing you covered in the last week, and that is the issue. This is one that isn't on a lot of people's radar, but it's important. The issue of uh, who picks judges? Do we elect them or should they be appointed? Why is that an issue again? Well, it's, because, it's always been a bit of a topic of conversation in smaller circles. This year, it got a little bit more airtime in local media just because ballot measure number one, the only ballot measure for Alaskans, um, said, shall there be a state convention? And what that means is the entire state constitution could be rewritten. Why does that matter when it comes to judges? In Alaska's state constitution... You, you have to follow a very specific set of procedures to select and retain judges. Hypothetically, it is apolitical. Some people aren't so sure. So they saw this election cycle as a chance to remake the Constitution, and judges were going to be a part of that. And what is the argument for each side? What, what is the value of elected judges? What do people say is the value of appointed judges? Great question. So again, ballot measure number one was defeated by a pretty fair margin. 70% of Alaska voters did not want a convention, did not want the chance to rewrite the state constitution. 30% did. I believe, it, you know, it has to come up every 10 years. So it's come up six times on Alaska's ballot. That's about what the margin has been always. People that like the current system, like the Judicial Council that we have in place. And what that is, it is six Alaskans. One is the chief of Alaska's Supreme Court, and there are three attorney members, so they have to be practicing Alaska attorneys, and there are three civilian members. And that, that could be anyone, and there's a 
process to get on that council. You go through the governor, there's an application proce process. Um, the intricacies aren't totally relevant to this question, so we'll bypass those. But people like that system because they sort of pour over a judge applicant or a candidate for a judgeship they pour over their career accomplishments and they look at objective and subjective markers. Um, they'll ask other attorneys that have practiced with that person, do you think this person would be a good judge? Do you think they can handle the workload, et cetera? People like that system. But there are people who don't like that system and would rather give the power to who to pick judges. So what some people say is this process is supposedly apolitical in Alaska. But they say that this has just moved sort of pork rolling and backdoor deals behind closed doors. And they feel as if this judicial council can just sort has, has relatively little oversight, which is true um, in terms of the nomination process. This council screens applicants and then they send names to the governor. You know, who do we think would be a good judge for a certain position? And then the governor can either pick from the two names or they can technically reject them and ask the council to start over. But that doesn't happen too often. So what people feel is if this council, it just it can act autonomously and there's no regulation. Some people think the governor should have a bigger voice. Some people think the council should have a different size. Um, and again, this is a niche issue, but it shouldn't be, because in 2022, judges sit on the front lines of who decides, you know, what is what does it mean to have civil rights in the United States of America? What does it mean to be a citizen here? So it's something that people should look more closely at. And I think one thing that's clear now, it doesn't matter what level of judge, a state of Alaska judge, a Supreme Court justice in the United States Supreme Court, it's hard to escape the argument that you are now a political player just like a senator or a congressperson or a state legislator. This is where we are now. Politics, accusations of politics escape no one, I guess. So you'll keep an eye on that. And more importantly, though, well, as importantly, you will be keeping an eye on the state legislature for us, right? Yes. And when does the legislature actually start meeting? January 17th, 2023. All right. We're just about a month away then. So thanks a lot for joining us. We'll have you back often, frequently, and with much more information than we would otherwise have. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Elena. You know what's coming up on December 13th? Tell me. It's the governor's Christmas open house. <laughs> what is that? That is the cutest thing ever. Oh, my gosh. It's like everybody goes to the governor's mansion, and you get cookies, and you take a tour of the mansion, and it's it's really a beautiful house. I remember the, the first time I knew about this, it was when Palin took office, and Maria Downey went down, and it was all about the girls picking out their rooms and the Christmas decorations, and it was really cute, and, uh, and the cookies are always pretty. But... You didn't go in? I didn't go in, no. I've always been like the guy on the outside. Just your kids? <laughs> yeah, my kids. I would be jealous and <laughs> never let them forget that. Uh, but that's coming up. And that's, where is the governor's mansion? In Juneau. Like right downtown there? Or? Yeah. It's this beautiful white house. It's great. It's very pretty. Well, I wish I could go, but I won't <laughs> make too. it this year. And neither will my kids. <laughs> coming up in the future episodes of The Pipeline, we're going to keep our eye on ranked choice voting. We don't know yet 
we've started covering the story, there's a move to eliminate ranked choice voting. There's a group out there trying to get a measure on the ballot in 2024 that would let you, the voter, decide to get rid of ranked choice voting or keep it. And we have no idea really right now whether that's going to succeed or not. No, no clue. But I, I bet you anything that pretty soon we start people seeing people outside of businesses with, you know, sign-up sheets. And so I would not surprise me. So, you know, we'll see whether voters, gosh, do they have the stomach to want to do this again? <laughs> Maybe they do. I mean, it is controversial. It was close the last time. I guess it would be close this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we've experience with it, so that'll be interesting to see, like, did people like it? I mean, polls commissioned by the group who did, so take it with a grain of salt, the group that uh, got this on the ballot and who advocated for ranked choice voting, their polls, again, their polls say that people liked it, but... um, And their point was, now that people have gone through it, they're much less likely to vote no. Yeah. So we have experience. It's not a mystery. Not a scary thing. Yeah. But we'll see, and we'll keep an eye on it, Mm -hmm. as we will all things politics and government on the political pipeline. Enjoy the holidays, everyone. Have a great holiday. 